Halliburton Highlands, born and raised in the libraries where I spent most of my days dishing out writing, searching all cool and all proven some crime outside of school when a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I taught one little write and my mom got scared and said you're moving too fast with the podcast on air. From Halliburton Highlands, this is the criminally sound with the courage to dig deep. I'm Amanda Siren, and we will be delving into the myths and facts about parole while analyzing the facts of Paul Bernardo's parole hearing. Have you ever wondered why we have parole or what it is? I know I've talked to many people who have the wrong idea about what parole is. The myths can be damaging, and that is why I'm here to tell you the reality of parole. The majority of prisoners are serving a fixed level sentence, meaning once they are done their sentence, they may go back into the community. At seven years or one-third of their sentence, whichever is less, is when prisoners are eligible to apply for full parole. Many people are under the impression that parole allows people to serve a shorter sentence, but parole is a program that allows prisoners to join the community while still serving their sentences. Parole allows prisoners to begin gradually reintegrating into the community and acquire law-abiding and pro-social lifestyles in a controlled and supportive environment before they are released for prison by the end of their sentence. It does not allow prisoners to get off more quickly, but it allows them to serve their sentence in a controlled manner in the community. The possibility of parole is dependent on the conditions which allow some of the offenders to serve part of their sentence in the community under the supervision of a parole officer. Another popular misconception is that once an inmate is eligible for parole, that they are automatically guaranteed parole. Whether or not a prisoner is released into the community can depend on the risk of the prisoner being safely managed in the community and if they will contribute productively to society. The courts discuss social and criminal history, understanding of their offense, progress made or programs completed, behavior in the institution or on previous conditional release, risk assessment, community supports, and victim statements to decide if a prisoner is acceptable for parole. There's a lot of considerations before an inmate is granted parole. Another myth is that day parole and full parole are the same. Day parole is different from full parole because it's only for a day and requires them to return to their prison or halfway house nightly while full parole is for the rest of their sentence as long as the conditions are met. Day parole has different factors from full parole that courts look at when deciding to allow or deny parole applications. Day parole usually happens for special occasions like the holidays with the family. Those who are serving life or indeterminate sentences are eligible to apply for day parole three years before their full parole eligibility date or after three years, whichever is greater. A big myth among the population is that offenders on parole can live their lives freely. In fact, most parole officers contain the offender in a designated area of work and living in Canada. The offenders must obey the law and be on good behavior. The parole officers must be notified if there is any changes to their employment or of living situation, and the offenders must report everything to the parole officers. 
On special cases, a parole officer can impose these conditions on offenders to reside in the halfway house, to abstain from alcohol and non-prescribed drugs, to avoid contact with their victims or children unless accompanied by an adult, and to refrain from association with people involved in criminal activity. If any of these conditions are not met by the offender, their release and parole may be revoked and they would have to finish their sentence in jail. A big misconception of the parole system is that offenders released on parole are often convicted of new crimes. This statement is proven to be a misconception due to the study from 2013 to 2014 that had found that 99% of federal day parole periods were successfully completed by offenders without reoffending, while offenders who attain full parole have a 97% of completion of their sentence without reoffending. The study concluded that over 99% of parole periods were successfully completed without violent offenses. Many citizens believe that society would be better protected if criminals remained in prison until they have completed their sentence. A study that has been conducted based on several years has deduced that when offenders have been returned to the community through conditional release, parole, offenders are much more likely to become productive law-abiding citizens than when they finish their sentence in prison. Citizens often are under the impression that victims of the offense have no role or their feelings are not considered in the parole hearing process, when in fact, the victims have the opportunity to present the ongoing effects of the crime and safety concerns, which may be presented in the form of audio, video, or written account. This includes requests from victims to impose release conditions deemed necessary for their protection. Victims may remain in contact with the officers or the parole board while the offenders are under the sentence and provide any additional information they believe should be considered in the decision. This information is used in the decision about an offender's institution placement, programs, and release. It may be a crucial factor in those decisions where the physical security of the victim may be at risk. These myths may be detrimental to society, victims, and offenders who are becoming law-abiding citizens. An interesting and unique case is Paul Bernardo's, a man who is a serial killer and rapist. Debbie Mahaffey, our special guest, knows the Bernardo case all too well. Her daughter, Leslie Mahaffey, was raped and murdered by Paul Bernardo. In addition, he killed three other girls, He's been convicted of 13 rapes and at least six attempted rapes. He made his first application for parole after 25 years in prison for some of the most horrific crimes in Canadian history. His parole hearing was held on the 17th of October, 2018. Debbie, a mother of one of Bernardo's victims, gave the statement at the hearing. In the following clip, Debbie is describing the pain her family has to go through by the hearing. Although Debbie has had a difficult time preparing for, the he for this hearing, it is crucial we have a law in place that gives prisoners access to apply for parole. This is because society is judged on how they treat the prisoners. You're about to hear a portion of what Debbie had to say at the parole hearing of Paul Bernardo. 
preparing for this parole hearing has been gut-wrenching for our family. We have to relive Leslie's pain and horror, or pain and horrors if it happened yesterday. It's a nightmare. The pain, despair, and anguish is crushing and debilitating. Preparing a victim statement after the passage of 25 years after Leslie's murder is an excruciating process that again tears us apart. It is a deep and unrelenting pain. The healing we have worked so hard to achieve has been ripped apart, just like Leslie was by Bernardo. We find ourselves confronted by a very complex and excruciating dilemma. That is participating in the hearing or not. You're damned if we do, and damned if we don't. It is an emotional hell for us. You can probably tell this has deeply affected Debbie. She's angry that Paul did those awful things to her daughter and that she has to relive the experience again through his parole hearing. She does not think it's fair that her family has to relive all the horrible trauma of her daughter's murder through the parole hearing, or that if they do not make a statement at the trial, he could have a greater likelihood of being considered for parole. This is something they consider when deciding whether a prisoner should get parole. In the following clip, you will hear Paul Bernardo, who will speak on how he has changed from his psychopathic ways. That's what I had back then, so I used sex as a vice. Now, I work out. I wake up every day knowing I'm not psychopathic. I care about people. I cried during 9-11. I cried during Columbine. Bernardo denied being a sadistic psychopath, although he admitted he felt nothing for his victims at the time he committed these crimes. It was all a matter of asserting power and control in an effort to give his fragile ego a boost, he said. In the court, he claimed to have discovered and confronted the psychological reasons for his sadistic sexual atrocities, including a series of rapes and murders of two teenage girls. In the next clip, you will hear Paul Bernardo express his explanation for why he murdered and raped those girls. I didn't consider their emotions as much as, obviously, I should have. I offended to raise my self-esteem, because when it was low, I felt terrible. I didn't go out with the intent to hurt them. I did it for myself. It hurts. Because I did horrible things. He said his offenses stemmed from low self-esteem, misguided coping mechanisms, cognitive distortions, and disinhibitory effects of stress and alcohol. Although he said all these things that seem remorseful, his conduct did not display his emotions. He was slouched in his chair without a care, quick to answer questions, and straight from the topic, while taking a long period of time. He spoke a lot on his life in prison and his efforts of rehabilitation. His answers were thick with psychological jargon focused on general behavioral patterns and theories rather than the extreme specific details of his inner life and his view of his crimes. In his speech, he used very academic words. His answers rarely seemed to satisfy the question. It was deviously evasive. Almost encouragingly, he would nod along with questions frequently, which is very unusual. Overall, his speech did not match his own actions, which seemed suspicious. 
Parole is a program that we have to give deserving prisoners a chance to join the community in a safe way before their release. They have strict conditions and are supervised by a parole officer. On the 17th of October 2018, Paul Bernardo was denied day and full parole. Although Paul Bernardo might feel as though he deserves parole, I do not see him getting parole in the foreseeable future. His criminal profile shows he's a huge risk to society, and there is virtually no way he could be managed in the community safely due to his previous manner of killing, his sexual assault history, the victim statements, and his lack of progress. He has already spent 25 years of his life sentence in prison, mostly in solitary. Solitary has been known as a difficult thing for prisoners to experience. They often end up psychologically unstable due to the lack of human interaction, as well as it's an indicator that he has not been well behaved in prison. For these reasons, I do not believe Paul Bernardo will ever be released into the community. What do you guys think? Do you think Bernardo has a chance of parole, or do you think he will take his last breath in jail? Do you think it's unfair for the families to relive all the trauma all over again in parole? Is the current parole system unfair to the families of victims? Let us know by tweeting us at The Criminally Sound. The Criminally Sound is produced by Miss Darling's Law Class, Halliburton Highlands Secondary School, and Halliburton's Creative Directory. With additional reporting by Vanessa Reed, editing by Helen Stower, research and fact-checking done by Bianca Solaris, Sound design and mix by Alyssa Violin and Renee Stoughton. The Criminally Sound staff includes Jeffrey Galloway and Janet Doe. The art of our website was created by Leo Gillard. Please check it out at thecriminallysoundpodcast.org.